You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates. That all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you. To see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages. Creator. Author. Victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is June 22nd, 2021. Today we'll be continuing on with part two of chapter 14 of Holy Priesthood, volume five. The, it's uh, the character of prophets. I'm at the mine and I'm waiting in line to get loaded. So anyway, um, my wife is on tonight. Kim is here. Hello, Kim and Emmett. Hi, everybody. And Kim is Hello. moving stuff for her job. Uh-huh. So Emmett will be reading tonight. He has the book, right? You've got the book open? 
I'm yes, at? I do. But I forgot what chapter we're reading. Okay, we're on <laughs> chapter 14, page 207. So we'll be reading 207 to 215. Got it. And what page number is that? I put the little thing in the book so that he would know where to turn to. You know, the page okay. saver thing. Okay, it was on the wrong page. Straight. Okay. No, it wasn't. <laughs> anyway, so, um, Emmett, were you able to get the uh, studio up and running? Yes. Okay, good deal. Also, we have the chat room available for people to make comments at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And uh, we will be opening the phone lines at the end of the reading tonight, same as always. And so if you have any questions or comments, you can uh, call in. The phone number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. It is a New York area code. It's actually a Manhattan number. I didn't choose it. If I could have chosen a number, it would have been a Utah number. But most people with their cell phones today can call long distance without having any problems. So uh, I know there's some people who have house phones. I know that you can use Skype to call because we've had – I was just listening to a program. So the old programs, before they get dropped off of iTunes, I'm recording them on a screensaver. There's a bunch of pictures uh, that it just, you know, slideshows through. And uh, last night we actually, well, not last night, the one I was listening to last night as I was having it record on the thing for the upload to YouTube, uh, we had a caller from Singapore, which was nice, um, and they used Skype. And I can always tell when people use Skype because it'll say er, uh, it'll say one 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 one. Anyway, um, you can also listen using the phone if if you don't want to use your data. Uh, that is the same phone number, and we do have 50 lines available. If we do have callers that listen on their lines and you are interested in making a comment or asking a question, push 1, and I'll see that your line or that you would like to be unmuted and then we can bring you on the air. So, all right, um, I'll dedicate the program, and then Emmett will start the reading. Emmett Warren, page 207, are you there? Yeah. Okay, good deal. All right, let me turn down my radio real quick while I uh, dedicate the program, and then I'll mute myself, and you can start the reading. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank thee for the technology that we have to meet a worldwide audience of like-minded believers who are interested in the restoration and want Zion to be redeemed. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for Jesus Christ and for the atonement that he has given that we may become his sons and daughters through the law of adoption, that we may be saved from the fall and come unto thee. We thank thee for the prophet Joseph Smith, for the sacrifice that he gave uh, in doing the work that you called him to do, and for all the 
early leaders of the Restoration who sought for Zion's redemption. We love thee, Father, and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us and dedicate this time unto thee and this radio show that we might learn of thy will and the redemption of Zion. We ask for thy blessings to be upon us and we say these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. You're up, Emma. Uh, amen. Okay. Um, I guess I'm going to start reading. We are in Augenkraut's Ensign to the Nations, Volume 2, on in that book on page 925. And we are on page 207 in what this is reading from. In light of this description, it is most interesting to read what Elder Bruce R. McConkie had to say regarding such a relationship to the Savior. You have never heard one of the First Presidency or the Twelve advocate the successive zeal that calls for gaining a so-called special and personal relationship with Christ. Our relationship with the Lord, BYU Devotional, March 2nd, uh, 1982, page 11. (laughs) A good example of a prophet having a personal relationship with God is when he said to Moses, With him I will speak mouth to mouth, and the similitude, uh, similitude, of the Lord shall behold, ye behold. Numbers 12.8 Moses was a prophet whom the Lord knew face to face. Deuteronomy 34.10 But unfortunately, that, por- that portion which brought Moses to speak with God face to face was taken away. But that which brought the ministry of angels remained. All the prophets had the Melchizedek priesthood and were ordained by God himself. Uh, Teachings for the Prophet Joseph Smith, uh, PP 180-181. The Character of Prophets Through a detailed study of the scriptures, the following pattern emerges in describing the character and work of the prophets. They continually... er, Oh, it's a list. One, they continually denounce and rebuke the evils of their times among both the people and their government. Two, after such rebukes, they express the Lord's mercy and his encouragement for them to seek for Zion and his kingdom. Uh, Three, they brought forth the word of the Lord, revelation, and scripture, often accompanied by miracles. Four, they were actively engaged in some special project or work which required divine guidance, uh, i.e. the translation of ancient texts, um, Noah building an ark, uh, defeating the enemy in battle, etc., Prophetic direction is er, predicated on blessings or cursings, depending on obedience or disobedience to the Lord. An example is found in Leviticus, where the Lord says, If ye walk in my statues and keep my commandments, then I will give you such and such blessings. And um, that's in like parentheses. Uh, Leviticus 26, 3, 4, or 3.4. Um, we are on page 208. Anything to say, anyone? Uh, yeah, I'll say something real quick. So um, when Joseph Smith talked about how prophets were ordained by God himself to have the Melchizedek priesthood, uh, first of all, all Melchizedek priests, uh, all priesthood is Melchizedek, Levitical, Aaronic, Melchizedek, the fullness of the priesthood, the patriarchal priesthood, it's all Melchizedek. Now, in order to come into the presence of God, you have to have the Melchizedek priesthood. So he's not talking about that. Um, With Moses, and I explained this yesterday, Moses was directed to go to 
Jethro, who was a priest of Midian outside of the Israelites. They were like cousins to the Israelites, and they had the Melchizedek priesthood among them, where the Israelites that were in Mizrim or <laughs> Egypt, they, uh, they didn't have the Melchizedek priesthood. It had been lost among them, and they had to have that priesthood restored to them as well as the law restored to them. Um, what, what Jesus did, so Jesus was the angel of Jehovah, and what Jesus did was he went as a representative of Jehovah, and he's the one that actually spoke to Moses upon the mountain. And uh, just real quick, Jesus and Jehovah are not the same person. That doctrine began to be promulgated in the 1880s, three years after the death of Brigham Young, and then it was solidified in the LDS Church by, um, oh, what's his name, Talmadge. I think it's James Talmadge. Uh, it's Talmadge. He wrote Jesus for Christ. Anyway, but um, and the only way I can show you easily uh, without going into a bunch of quotes from different sources, and there are, there are different quotes, but in Ether Chapter 3, when the brother of Jared, whose name was Mohanre Moriankamer, saw the spirit of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Well, he said a couple of things. I really wish I didn't have to be on the radio up here while I'm loading, but I have to be on it. So if you hear the radio traffic in the background, that's why. Anyway, but um, the spirit being of Jesus told Mohanre Moriankumar, the brother of Jared, in Ether Chapter 3, never at any time, never at any, oh my gosh, never at any time have I showed myself unto man, but Jehovah had shown himself to Adam and Methuselah, and he walked with Enoch face to face. And in the lectures on faith, Joseph Smith actually goes through a long list of people who saw Jehovah. They saw him. But that was all before the flood. After the flood, you have the Tower of Babel, and Abraham lived during that time. And Abraham actually sat down with Jehovah, who had a resurrected being. Now, remember, Jesus said that this is my spirit body, and he talked about how when he was, uh, when he came in the meridian of time, he would come uh, in the flesh, and that his spirit being is the same, uh, would look the same, basically, as his body when he came in the flesh. But he said, never at any time have I showed myself unto man, but Jehovah had shown himself to man before that point. I appreciate it, Kelly. Anyway, so, uh, anyway, so, oh my gosh, <laughs> always talking. And I try not to be in here during the beginning of the show because of this. But it seems like today I, I left early and then there was a bunch of wait time. And there's been a bunch of wait time on this trip, too. So anyway, so um, Jehovah came with a couple of his angel buddies. And they all had bodies. So they all had bodies before the resurrection because they had bodies from a previous earth. Because this is not the only earth that has been created. 
but they had bodies, and Abraham actually sat down with Jehovah as a resurrected being who ate a meal of meat and dairy with him. But at the same time, right, in that, within that 100-year period, I think it was, shortly after the time of the Tower of Babel, Jesus Christ first appears, never, never appeared before that to anybody before that, and he says, this is my spirit body, and this is what I'll look like when I come in the flesh. And then he came in the flesh in the meridian of time, not before that. So, um, so Jesus and Jehovah, not the same person. Now, um, in order to, what Joseph Smith was talking about with uh, all, the, all the major prophets, basically, that had the fullness of the priesthood. So like Enoch had the fullness of, of the priesthood, he was able to command the elements and those type of things, all of those Elijah and other prophets that had the fullness of the priesthood, they first had it given to them by a man on the earth who had the priesthood, like Moses, had the fullness of the priesthood. That's why he was able to command the elements. (laughs) Anyway, so, um, but he had to go to Jethro before, uh, before all of the appearances of, Jesus and all of that, he had to go to Jethro, who was a priest of Midian, who had the Melchizedek priesthood. So um, what Joseph Smith is talking about here is not the Melchizedek priesthood the way that we talk about the Melchizedek priesthood, because all priesthood is Melchizedek. He was talking about those who received the fullness of the priesthood, which you can only receive under the hand of the Father. That's the only way you can get it. That's how I got it in 2003 when the Father brought me up before him in the flesh and laid his physical hands upon my head and gave me the fullness of the priesthood. And Cam is a witness of some of the things that I've been able to do with that priesthood, that I can't just do anything I want. Um, it has to be the will of God. So, like, for instance, in 2013, my semi-truck was going to be flipped over by 70-mile-an-hour wind gusts. I was driving for FedEx and I had empty trailers coming down from Montana. I was actually near Tremont, Utah, and I was kind of worried because if I flipped my trailer over because of the wind, I'd lose my job, and I couldn't lose my job. So I was, like, praying, and I was asking God, you know, to please help me. And he, he actually said to me, use the authority that I gave you to command the wind to stop. And I was like, I can do that? <laughs> I, uh, I did. I pulled over on the side of the road, and I rose my hands after the manner of the Melchizedek priesthood, and I commanded the wind to stop, and it stopped. And then I called Kim because I was all excited about, about it. And uh, I was, you know, basically like, I can't believe this happened. And Kim got mad at me. Kim, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> Kim, uh, am, I, am I here? Yeah, you're here. Do you, well, I don't know where Kim is. She's probably busy doing something. I don't know. Anyway, do you remember that? Because you were actually with her when I called her. Yeah, she got mad at you because it was like, a really hot day out, but it was like breezy because of the wind there, so it was like nice outside. And we like had just gone on a walk out in the middle of town, like a couple miles away, 
And then you had the wind stop while we were still in town, and we had to walk all the way back because we walked all the way there. You're at the grocery store in Spanish Fork, and I was like, yay! And Kim was like, why couldn't you wait till I got home? (laughs) Kind of joking with me. And uh, uh, Emmett was seven or eight at the time. Olivia was like five or something like that. And then we had Eliza, who was an infant, and Mom was pushing a stroller. And we only had one vehicle, and I took it to work because my work was way far away. And... Um, we didn't have money for gas hardly. So, anyway. I'll get it for you in a minute. Anyway, so, um, so anyway, so Kim was like pushing the stroller full of groceries uphill. The wind, which was not as bad in Spanish Fork, which is like over a hundred and something miles away from where I was. But it was still pretty breezy where she was at. But when I commanded the wind to stop, it stopped. So, anyway, uh, I have other stories. I won't get into them right now because I actually need to mute myself. So, I just wanted to clarify the fullness of the priesthood that God gave to... Because you can't have... You cannot be in the physical presence of God unless you have the the Melchizedek priesthood. So, that's how that works. Um, but you have to receive the priesthood before by a man who had it on the earth, or an angel has to come restore it before you can come into the presence of God. And that fullness that the Father gives is the one that they talk about in section 124 that was never restored because of the disobedience of the saints. All right, I'm muting myself. Okay. Um, Where were we? <laughs> Peter 208, we just went on with that. And from Deuteronomy, the Lord says, If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, all these blessings shall come on thee, and overtake thee. Deuteronomy 8, 1, 2. But if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord, all these curses shall come upon thee, and overtake thee. Twenty-eight fifteen. Compare the above to the scriptural patterns that become evident when a false prophet comes forth. They will speak well of the people of, and the nation and declare that all is well in Zion. They will encourage the people to work for the Gentiles, obey the law of the Gentiles, and live like the Gentiles. They will have no written revelations, nothing saying, Thus saith the Lord, and nothing that can be recorded as scripture. They have no spiritual gifts, seer stones, work of translation, or works of translation, prophecy, or special work assigned by the Lord. They have no prophetic promises from the Lord for obedience or disobedience. Instead of instructing people to seek the Lord and obey his words, they encourage people to put their trust in him. Other characteristics become evident in the lives of true prophets. The authority of the prophets over the people is derived from several sources. First, their own character is wholly self-denying, unselfish men. Second, their message touched the conscience, which delivered or declared that the prophets were right. Third, their message was in, in accordance with the results of the past history of the nation. Fourth, the assurance on part of the prophets, or on the part of the prophets, that they were messengers of God and were speaking his truth, gave power to their words. They spoke with authority. Miracles wrought by God through the prophets confirmed the word not only of the prophets who wrote them, but of the whole school of prophets. The fulfillment of their prophecies 
was a strong confirmation of the inspired messages. Only God could reveal the future as the prophets foretold it. There is not one of their prophecies which was not fulfilled or in the process of fulfillment. Um, Pelobit, Pelubit, (laughs) one of those Bible dictating discourses, dictionary, page 533. Man. Can I say something real quick? We're on page 292. So, yeah, say whatever you want. Okay. So, before I go into the void here for the next four miles, um, John the Baptist never prophesied of anything like future fulfillment other than the coming of Jesus Christ because he prepared the way for him. But he was one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. Isaiah, all of the prophecies that he gave, they all happened pretty much after his lifetime. They were fulfilled in the future. So people in his day could say, ah, you're a false prophet because nothing ever happened. Well, no. So um, God doesn't always give a prophet, you know, future stuff. God always has a prophet tell the people to repent. And God always has that prophet point, the prophet points towards God, not himself. So the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet will always try to get people to follow him and to listen to him and to have authority over them. All right, I have to mute myself. Go ahead, Emma. Oh, man, I'm having some really bad hiccups. That's annoying. With these guidelines to help in distinguishing true prophets, what is a person to do when he cannot find them exemplified in those who claim to be prophets. Sorry if I stop talking every so often. I'm like really badly having hiccups. In the early days of the church, there were abundant testimonies of angels, tongues, spiritual gifts, and revelations. Gradually, however, they dwindled until there are no longer written revelations, seer stones, nor speaking in tongues. Tongues. It appears that God has left man all alone in a barren wilderness without the light of heaven. Why is this? Is it, to, or it is to teach the saints to hold fast to the true principles of the gospel and to weather the storm until it's over, as has been prophesied. Ugh, so annoying. The day will come when every saint must learn to walk by sheer naked principles alone without bringing either men or their individual options into the question at all. Millennial Star Editorial 2708. The Lord's Lantern lights the the pathway to the principles of the gospel, not to mortal men. Men can deviate, stumble, and fall, but true principles are always constant and eternally true. Uh, um, we are on page 210. Are you there, Deb? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming just coming out of the bad area. Oh, okay. I'm having really bad hiccups. Anything to say? I'm sorry. Uh, you could see yeah. if Lydia wants to read. I don't know where Lydia is. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> uh, 
be right. hiding in her bedroom because that's her favorite place to be. No, I think she was out with the with the kids. Oh, in the backyard or something. Something like that. That. Kim, are you there? Uh, so Kim is loading stuff out of one classroom because the district transferred her to a different school because they needed a kindergarten teacher. And she has early childhood development, um, a de- bachelor's degree in early childhood development. So she's one of few teachers that are actually qualified to do that kind of work. And the kindergarten teacher at that school retired so she's taking her place, so she's moving her stuff using her little hybrid car to go back and forth between the schools that uh, she's moving classrooms. So she's actually doing that right now. Um, she said she was going to be listening, but I don't know what she's doing. So maybe it's, uh, I see her, her phone number still on the studio because I've got it up uh, on my phone, but whatever. Anyway... Um, I don't really have anything to say about that other than the the current day leaders of the church uh, have made statements that they're more important than the dead prophets. And the light that they had is like more dim, I guess. I, I can't remember the exact quote. Maybe it'll bring it up in the, uh, the reading in the, uh, you know, in the upcoming reading. But, um, Joseph Smith gave a warning really close to the end of his life, and it's in the Times and Seasons. And he basically said, if the, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. So just because a new guy who's the leader of the church says something, if it contradicts Scripture, then... You have to set them down as imposters, no matter how much you think that they're a true prophet. Uh, you know, because these guys, are, they're, they claim to be prophets, seers, and revelators, but they don't actually have the proof of being prophets, seers, or revelators. And they contradict Joseph Smith. They contradict the Pearl of Great Price. They contradict the, the other scriptures. And they contradict... Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and a whole bunch of others. Now, I don't believe Brigham Young was the Lord's anointed, but I do believe, and I used to have a problem with Brigham Young, by the way. But God set me straight. God told me, yes, he was my servant. He was the one that was chosen to lead the cursed and rejected saints into the wilderness, which is what happened when they went to Utah. He taught things that he learned from Joseph Smith. So when people are like, ah, eh, like Joseph Smith taught the Adam God doctrine in the School of the Prophets. Brigham Young knew about it. Brigham Young revealed that doctrine in 1852, and they taught that doctrine all the way to the end of Brigham Young's life in 1877 and beyond. And it's still taught in the temple, but the uh, the church wants to say that the leaders of the church can never lead you astray, but then they say Brigham Young taught seven deadly heresies and that he led the church astray in false doctrine, and it's not true. A lot of the things that he taught that were offensive to us in our modern day 
are true. The pearl of great, great price is true. And the church essays, they want to say, uh, they want to actually contradict former revelations, especially stuff given in the pearl of great price and in the Book of Mormon. And they want to say that they're true prophets, but they're not. They're Babylonian businessmen who put on wolf suits, which are basically Babylonian wolves in sheep's clothing, that presidents and CEO executives of a corporation. And in a revelation Jesus gave me, he said that Babylonian businessmen are false administrators, have hijacked the church, which they have, and there's evidence that they have. So anyway, go ahead, Emma. I'm still having hiccups, but okay. Let's continue. Okay. Um, where was I at? <laughs> right there. If you are walking in an unfamiliar country in a steep and hazardous area, and the night overtakes you, you have a couple of options. One, you can keep going, stumble, stumbling, banging into trees and obstacles, and maybe fall off a cliff. Or two, you can remain still, build a little fire for protection and warmth, and wait until it gets light again. In 1939, Elder Hugh B. Brown was speaking to one of the members of the House of Commons in England. Uh, on the topic of religion, since they both were in the legal profession, being trained in the importance of both evidence and logic, they took up the subject the subject of the gospel restoration in an examination for discovery. Elder Brown wrote, We agreed that at least the following characteristics should distinguish a man who claims to be a prophet. A. He will boldly claim that God has spoken to him. B. Any man so claiming would be a dignified man with a dignified message. No table jumpings, no whispering from the dead, no clairvoyance, but an intelligent statement of truth. Uh, why am I hiccuping? <sighs> See, any man claiming to be a prophet of God would declare his message without fear and without making any weak concessions to public opinion. E. If he were speaking for God, he could not make concessions. Although what he taught would be new and contrary to the accepted teachings of the day, a prophet bears witness to what he has seen and heard heard, and seldom tries to make a case by argument. His message, not he himself, is important. E. Such a man would speak in the name of the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, as did Moses, Joshua, and others. S. Such a man would predict future events in the name of the Lord, and they would come to pass, as did Isaiah, Ezekiel, and others. G. He would have not only an important message for his time, but also a message for all future time, such as had Daniel, Jeremiah, and others. H, he would have courage and faith enough to endure persecution and to give his life, if need be, for the cause he exposed, i.e. Peter, James, Paul, E.T.A.L. You're on page 211. Anything to say? No, I'm going to call Danielle and see if I can get Mom to get on the phone so she can help you with the reading. Yeah, I'm not feeling very uh, the good. Main, the main job of a 
the main job of the prophet is to correct false doctrines being taught among the people. That's the main job. It's not to prophesy. Now, you can prophesy. I have a prophecy. God is going to, well, he told me in 2016 to leave Spanish Fork and take my family down to Emory County, Utah, and that that would be uh, a place that I would be, and I would remain there until things got too dangerous. And he told me the time would come when I would know when that was, and he showed me uh, where to go to, which is in this really remote area um, out north uh, west of Lake Powell, and uh, when I told Kevin Crowd about that, he actually said, oh, somebody else, I got the same revelation, but he wasn't given specifics. I was eventually given specifics. Um, but Kevin Crowd got the same revelation, uh, and he said that he knows another person that got that revelation. And then a man by the name of Eugene Richardson also claims to have had the same revelation, that he was thinking Bullfrog, Utah, would be the area to go to, but he wasn't sure. <coughs> anyway, part of that instruction that I received was in 2016 to warn the people to leave the populated areas. And that's something that has to happen. And people that remain in those areas, because you're supposed to come out of Babylon the Great anyway. That's talked about in several places in the scriptures, you know, and for us to just remain in Babylon the Great and just to continue doing Babylonian things and then going to church on Sunday and think that we're Israelites, well, we're Israelites, but we're Israelites in apostasy. When we give up the meat of the gospel and we look at it as filth and vomit as Isaiah saw that we would in the latter days, that the drunkards of Ephraim, would uh, all their tables would be full, full of filth and vomit, they look at the meat of the gospel as filth and vomit. So they look at polygamy, celestial marriage, which I have received revelation and a vision showing why it's important. And I've talked about that in the past. They look upon that as filth. They look upon the Adam-God doctrine, which was restored by Joseph Smith and then taught later on by Brigham Young. They look upon that as they say it's one of the seven deadly heresies of Brigham Young. They look at a whole bunch of stuff, the early teachings that were restored to the church as filth and vomit, and they look at the Torah, which is what Jesus taught from as filth and vomit. And it's not. The, the times and seasons, the Moedim or the holy days of Jehovah, God never did away with any of that stuff. It was it's false doctrine to think that the Torah was nailed to the cross, as some Christians want to claim. There's still plenty that's applicable in the Torah, but they pick and choose. That, oh, tithing is okay, and the Ten, Ten Commandments, which are part of Torah, are okay, you know, but all oh, these other things are not okay. So, but there are some things. Okay, real quick. When King Josiah was the king of uh, Israel, or Judea, the high priests in the temple found a temple scroll, which they had lost, 
They did not have it anymore, but they have, they found a hidden one in a cavity in a rock in the temple. And they took that, and he had a, high, uh, a council, uh, a quorum, basically, a bunch of uh, religious people and the king. And before they released it to the people, King Josiah actually added many vain and foolish doctrines to the Torah. So the 613 laws that are in the Torah, they're not all, like, what, what, or Jehovah had Yeshua or Jesus who was the angel of, of Jehovah what he had him give Moses was a lot simpler than what is actually in the 613 laws you have to have discernment to know which is applicable and which is not there were things that were done away like circumcision there was, that was a mark that God used to have the Israelites uh, so that the women did not get deceived by heathen nations so when they got married to these uh, these guys if they weren't circumcised these women would know they're not of the house of Israel you should not promulgate your species or get pregnant by these heathen men that are trying to deceive you all of that was all for the time uh, the whole idea of in the in the Torah about the instruction where you do not seize or boil a, a baby kid, a baby goat, in its mother's milk. The reason for that was because the worshipers of Baal, the Baalim, they actually uh, did that as part of their, their ceremonies. And God says in the Torah, do not do anything like what the heathens do. It's not acceptable for us to, like what the Catholic Church did, where they took Christmas, which was a pagan holiday for the sun god, Apollo, and they made that into Jesus' birthday. They merged it, and everybody's fine with that. But in the Torah, it says we're not supposed to do those type of things. But the whole seething or boiling a kid in its mother's milk, that was part of a pagan ritual. It's not applicable anymore. You know, but the Jews, they go way far out of bounds with it, and they say, oh, because it says that, we're going to build up a law around the original law that says we're not even allowed to eat milk and dairy or even keep them in the same place. So they have, Orthodox Jews will have two refrigerators, one for dairy and one for meat, because they take it way out of context. And the, uh, the Christians do the same thing. You're not supposed to swear. Swearing biblically is not the same as what present-day meanings are. It has nothing to do. Like offensive things, Jesus didn't have the same words that we have that are cuss words in our culture. And if you go over to Australia, they have different cuss words, but that's not going to – people don't consider them cuss words here in, in the United States where I'm speaking from. Same thing in, in Britain. England, they have, the, they have different words, so we don't consider them cuss words. I could say bloody all day long, and nobody gives a rat's to hoot, you know. But in the United States, if you say, if you're in England, oh, you can't say that because that's a, no, it, it doesn't, it's not the same. Context means everything. Jesus Christ spoke very offensive things to the leaders of his day. And in his day, they would have considered him somebody who swore or used offensive language. 
but it wasn't a sin. Jesus kept the Torah perfectly. He fulfilled the law. That all, all that means is that he kept the law perfectly. If you fulfill the law, you're keeping Torah. Anyway, I'm going to mute myself because I'm about to go into Sunnyside Dip. So uh, I'll call Danielle and see if I can get no, Mom no. to come no, on No, here. no, 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 no. No, no. Okay. Mom's been listening to your whole tangent. <laughs> um, well, I was talking to you, I was asking you about uh, just testifying of the miracle of the wind back in 2013 earlier, but you weren't there. Oh, yeah, with, uh, with, <laughs> when I went for that walk. Did you already tell him? Oh, you must be breaking up. Emmett, did he already talk about it, like what, when... Uh, the wind. Uh, we went on a, the, a walk to go to the grocery store because we only had one vehicle at the time, and he had to go to work, which was a couple hours north of where we were at. So uh, he was, um, well, he would drive up to the yard where he would pick up his truck, and then he would go over the road. So um, he would be away for like a week and a half, two weeks, three weeks, whenever they sent him back. And so that's what he did. He was away on the road, and I didn't have a vehicle. So I would um, take the stroller and the kids, you know, because we had Eliza at the time. And we, I was like, oh, it's a nice windy day. It's so nice out. We're going to go for a walk, you know, even though it was, you know, the sun was out and it was warm. It was a nice breeze. It was uh, actually pretty strong. So uh, we were walking and it was like, oh, that's nice. And we went to the store and I got, you know, some milk and stuff, the things that we needed. Um, and then after um, we go to walk out and I was like, oh, man, it's so hot. And we had to walk back from the store. And, uh, and Emmett was like, oh, it's hot. And I'm like, I know the wind stopped. So we were just, like, trying to get back to the house while it was, like, super hot. And I had, you know, the three little kids. And it was funny because uh, we're, like, halfway there. And then Mark calls me, and he says, he's like, you're not going to believe what happened. And I was like, ugh. And I was like, well, hold on a second. Uh, we're we're on our way back from the store, and I told him, you know, that it was, um, it was really hot, and he told me he's like, I know, and he told me about how he had, he told God told him to get out and command the winds to stop, and I was like, couldn't you have just waited until I got home? <laughs> but the winds were really strong, and when you drive a semi truck, um, you get you'll get knocked over like the trailers will tip well, over. Well, especially so. if they're empty. And I was pulling two FedEx yeah. trailers, and yeah, they're uh, not the very back heavy. Top, it's not heavy at all, and the back top doesn't have any stability of the tractor because it's on a panel hook, and it's on a single axle, so they wiggle a little bit. That's why you see three. If you see three FedEx trailers and they're wiggling, they're not stable. They're a pain in the butt. Anyway, so, but you were pushing the stroller up the hill, going back towards the yeah. house. Yeah. And it was really hot, and it was fully loaded with a, a kid and a yep. bunch of groceries. Yeah, and, all the groceries that I could fit in it. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, the reason why I'm happy that Kim can talk about these things is because 
a lot of people out there, they'll hear me talking about it a little bit. Um, you know, and there's not a lot of witnesses. There are some, and I wish they would testify, but Kim knows about them all because she's been with me for nine years. You know, and she's, she's seen these things or heard these things. Uh, or like when I, when I held that woman in Puerto Rico, um, you know, she knows the, the mother of the woman. And um, yeah. I think you even met the, uh, the woman because she was, like, trying to get – she wanted me to marry her daughter. <laughs> Wanda. She wanted to be my yeah. mother-in-law. Anyway, but she, um, she called me, and she was freaking out because her daughter stopped breathing. And she had a lung disease that caused her to stop breathing. And she had passed out. They were waiting for the ambulance. They were in Puerto Rico. So I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah or West Valley, or wherever my mom yeah. was, Taylorsville, at my mom's house. And I said, well, yeah. what's your full name? And she said, okay, let's... And I stood up, I raised both my hands to the square, and I didn't command her to be healed. I did something different, because I have been shown who I am, what kind of position of authority that God has given me in the heavens before I, was, uh, before I came to the earth, and I have authority over angels. So this is the the only time that I've ever done this, but I commanded the angels that I have charge over as the witness to heal her daughter. She was on the phone with me. When I said amen, her daughter started coughing and woke up and spent the next while until the ambulance got there coughing all this crap up out of her lungs. And by the time they got to the uh, the hospital, the doctors said that there was nothing there. She was healed. But she was dying. She had already passed out. She stopped breathing when I commanded the angels to heal her. So, like, we have these witnesses, but Kim knows about them because Kim is my wife. And she was actually commanded to be with me by God himself. And we were strangers and all of that when we first met. But um, we both trusted God. God commanded us to be married. And she is a witness of these things and many other things. So anyway, uh, if you don't have anything else to say, um, Emmett's actually having a hard time reading because he's hiccuping. He's a I know. I heard that. And I tried to, I texted him and asked him what page number he was on. Because, you know, we're actually actively moving stuff right now, like, back and forth. And I'm trying to get over to you. Where are you at? Because I need to drop this stuff off to you. <laughs> well, you'd have to leave right now to get over there. I'm just coming into Wellington. I'm already almost over there. I'm about to turn left on Carbon so that I can get over to you. Okay, just let me know uh, when you get over closer. And uh, I'll probably dump this load off at the spur. And then uh, when I'm coming out, I'll just park in that little field there, uh, the dirt lot where I, okay. where you meet me sometimes, and uh-huh. grab the food from you. So I'm going to meet myself okay, and then. Okay, I still have one more to do. I need to go back out to Helper and then come back in here. And I'm still trying. <sighs> Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll mute myself. Go ahead, Emmett. 
Okay. Um, where were we? I don't know. That's what uh, I asked you. <laughs> two eleven. I, I texted you. I said I was on page two eleven and that I don't feel good. Okay. Um, Such a man would denounce wickedness fearlessly. He would generally be rejected and persecuted by the people of his time. But later generations, the descendants of his persecutors, would build monuments in his honor. J. He would be able to do superhuman things, the things that no man could do without God's help. The, the consequence or result of his message and work would be convincing evidence of his prophetic calling. By their fruits ye shall know them. Matthew 7.20 <coughs> K. His teachings would be in strict agreement with Scripture, and his words and his writings would become Scripture. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will, the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Second Peter 1.21 The only problem with that is the Gentiles have screwed up Scripture so much that it had to be restored. And Joseph Smith did finish the Old and the New Testament. Um, I just made a video about that. It's on YouTube. But so the inspired translation of Joseph Smith was finished. But the church today will say, oh, you never finished it. And they want to use the King James Version or the corrupted version of the Scriptures to teach the people instead of the inspired version, which Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon and others testified that was finished. But, you know, that's part of the uh, apostasy of the modern-day church. They don't, they want to control the narrative. They want to control the truth. They don't want you to know about the, you know, the times and seasons quotes where, where we're told, you know, these things were finished. They will lie to your face and tell you, oh, these things were never finished. They were. They will lie to your face about so many things. So, but in the Restoration, the beginning of the Restoration, Joseph Smith corrected scriptures that had been screwed up by the Gentiles. In their translations, their mistranslations, they're adding to scripture things that were not a part of the original scripture, and, and then he ha- also, he added things that had been taken out of Scripture because many plain and precious truths were taken out of Scripture because the Gentiles want to do Gentile things, and that's just what they do. So uh, my job is to testify of the Father and the Son who I have seen and spoken to and had many dreams and visions, and they've taught me so much but also to uh, get people to turn back to the first works of the restoration and stop making all these stupid excuses about how, oh, that was for another time. That's not for us. We don't have to do, we don't have to do those. Zion has to be redeemed by a people who will do all that God has commanded. And if you're making excuses about how you don't have to do it, you're just a Gentile, and you can just go down with the Gentiles in Babylon. You're supposed to come out of Babylon. You're supposed to be obedient to God. Anyway, I'll mute myself. Okay. Um, the pros- or the profile of a prophet, H. B. Brown, as quoted from Eternal Quest, uh, PP one thirty 
to 131, I guess. Once again, clear and accurate guidelines have been given to help us in our discernment. Let now, or let's now apply some of them to our current leaders who claim to be God's prophets. One, boldly claim that God has spoken to him. This claim has been seldom heard in over a century. They cover their statements with ambiguities, ambiguities that, that are difficult to understand. But lead one to think that God has spoken to them, too. He would make no concessions to public opinion. It is almost impossible to find any prophets who have not made compromises with Babylon. Or on page 212. <laughs> I gotta say something. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so they use y- y- uh, innuendo to dance around the topics because they want you to believe that they've seen him, but they haven't. Um, hold on. Okay, sorry about that. All right. Um, ugh, I just got sidetracked a little bit here. What was I thinking? <laughs> um, oh, and then they tell the, the members of the church, don't tell people your spiritual experiences. And then they say, because you're not supposed to cast your pearls before swine. Okay, so you're not supposed to talk about your sacred spiritual experiences. If God is, if you've seen God and whatever, you're not supposed to talk about that you know, among the members of the church. And nobody picks up on this, but it drives me insane. They say don't cast your pearls before swine. They're calling the membership of the church swine. Okay, now, if you have had a spiritual experience and you have seen an angel or you've seen God, great. The people should have enough discernment to where if they believe it, and they should, always believe what you're told and then take it to your Father in the name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, and ask if what you believe is true. And then if it's true, then the Spirit will testify to it. If it's not true then the spirit will withdraw from you and you'll have the buffetings of Satan, which is the exact opposite of the spirit. You'll have anxiety and stress and all those kind of things come upon you within a short time period after you ask. If you don't get an answer, you got to dig into it more. Because God's not going to give it to you just because you, you ask. You actually have to look into it. So I have a lot of people that, that see me posting stuff all the time, they never actually listen to what I have. They might listen to a little bit. You know, they, God, they don't research it. God's not going to give them any witness to anything because they don't take it seriously. So you actually have to take it seriously. Now, one more thing. Before, okay, before the destruction of the second temple and before the destruction of the first temple, God sent a bunch of prophets to tell the people to repent and he warned them and all this stuff. It's the same today. But when God raises up a true prophet, Satan knows who those prophets, he knew them before the foundation of this earth. He knew Jeremiah before the foundation of this earth. He knew me before the foundation of this earth. I actually know him personally, just like I know God personally. Um, And Satan will raise up a whole bunch of false prophets 
as Judas goes to lead the people astray, to contradict the true prophet. And they'll be so very close to the, the true prophet that uh, they will lead people astray in, in key points of false doctrine, as they're Judas goats, but they act just like regular prophets. To those people who have had those experiences, do not be prideful. Because God has chosen you to deliver a message, do not be prideful. If you have had those experiences, you still need to go to God and make sure it wasn't an angel of light who came to you as a devil, clothed as an angel of light to deceive you to become a false prophet or a Judas goat. When people talk about their experiences with angels telling them this, that, and the other, use the test that Joseph Smith gave. An angel will have a resurrected body, and they will shake your hand. If they're a spirit, they will not attempt to shake your hand. Oh, there's my wife. I see you. Um, I have to go dump this first before I... So just pull over here into this field, and I'll come back as soon as I'm done dumping. So... It doesn't look like there's a line. All right. Anyway. Um, anyway. Two tubes to the green uh, <laughs> green light to the three grids. <laughs> anyway, um, but then there's another part of the test. You have to ask God if it is from Him. If it's from Him, the Spirit will testify to it. If it is, if what you received is misinterpreted by you, then there's you know then you won't get a, a witness. And if it's from a false spirit who is trying to pretend that he is, uh, you know, an angel of light, but it's really a demon in disguise, the spirit will withdraw from you and you'll be left to the buffetings of Satan. All right, I'm going into an area where I have to dump. It just breaks up in here. I'm just going to mute myself. Go ahead and read Emmett. Okay. Uh Can you hear me, Emmett? Yeah. Okay, I got this. Tell me where it's at. 212? Okay, that's the problem. I, yeah, we're at 212. Okay. Number 3, 4, 5, three. 6, 7. Okay. Three. His message. Okay, I got it. His message, not he himself, is important. Now we hear the constant repetition of the follow of the brethren instead of follow the Lord. Number four, he would speak, saying, Thus saith the Lord. It has been a little over a century since the church has published Revelation declaring, Thus saith the Lord. Number five, he would predict future events. The gift of prophecy has been almost extinct among all who claim to be church prophets for the past hundred years. Number six, he would be rejected by the people and endure persecution. It would be difficult to find any persecution today. Most persecutions ceased in the church about the turn of the century. Number seven, he would do superhuman things, which no man could do without God's help. 
there have been a few, if any, such things since the days of Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, and John Taylor. Number eight, and this is a long one, his teachings would be in strict agreement with the scriptures. The older the church becomes, the more changes are made in doctrine, principles, and ordinances contrary to the scriptures. It seems that Elder Brown was condemning himself and his associates with his own words, supposing men are known to be prophets, seers, and revelators, and actually have the spirit and gifts of that calling. Can they commit sin or fall from that holy calling and lose those gifts? We're on page 213 now. In answer, Brigham Young gave some very enlightening information. If a man is called to be a prophet and the gift of prophecy is poured upon him, though he afterwards actually defies the power of God and turns away from the holy commandments, that man will continue in his gift and will prophesy lies. He will make false prophecies, yet he will do it by the spirit of prophecy. He will feel that he is a prophet and can prophesy, but he does it by another spirit and the power that which was given him of the Lord. End quote. That's Journal of Discourse, Volume 3, page 364. In other words, a man could have the Lord's gift and power of prophecy and revelation throughout his life, but if he does something wrong, he could continue to receive revelations, but by another spirit, and he would not even know. This is a very important key for us today in determining true prophets. There is an ancient document called the Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs that has been included in some of the apocryphal, I'm sorry, apocryphal works, which purportedly includes the testaments of Jacob's 12 sons and their to their children. These have been considered as both patriarchal blessings and prophecy, and a prophecies concerning their posterity. Some describing events of the last days, Levi gives a warning of what would happen to the church leaders in our dispensation. This is a decadent priesthood. And whereas ye have heard concerning the 70 weeks, here also concerning the priesthood, for in each jubilee, or period of time, there shall be a priesthood. And in the first jubilee, the first, Joseph Smith, who is anointed to the priesthood, shall be great, and shall speak to God as to a father. And his priesthood shall be perfect with the Lord, and in the day of his gladness shall he arise for the, the salvation of the world. We're on page 214. In the second jubilee, he that is anointed, Brigham Young, shall be conceived in the sorrow of beloved ones, the journey west, or that would be the journey west, and his priesthood shall be honored and shall be glorified by all. And the third priest, John Taylor, shall be taken hold of by sorrow. He lived and died as a fugitive from the law. And that was fun because now mine messed up. Emmett, were you where I was? Um, not really. Oh, okay, that's fine. I don't feel I'm good at all. I'm just getting back into it. Okay. I'm having stomach problems. Okay. Um, okay, so John Taylor shall be taken hold of by sorrow. He lived and died as a fugitive from the law. And the fourth, Wilford Woodruff, shall be in pain because unrighteousness, the U.S. government shall gather itself against him exceedingly, and all Israel shall hate each one his neighbor. The fifth, Lorenzo Snow, shall be taken hold of by darkness. Likewise, the sixth, Joseph F. Smith, and the seventh, Heber J. Grant. And in the seventh shall be such pollution as I cannot express before men, for they shall know it who do these things. Therefore, 
shall they be taken captive and become a prey, and their land and their substance shall be destroyed. That comes from the Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs, R.H. Charles, London, 1925 edition, pages 45 and 46. He said that during this time, during this time, they would become idolaters, lovers of money, proud, etc. Further prophecy regarding the future of the saints is regarded into the Doctrine and Covenants, and the rebellious shall be cut out, uh, cut off out of the land of Zion, and shall be sent away, and shall not inherit the land. For verily I say that the rebellious are not of the blood of Ephraim, wherefore they shall be plucked out. Behold, I, the Lord, have made my church in these last days like unto a judge sitting on a hill, or in a high place to judge the nations. For it shall come to pass that the inhabitants of Zion shall judge all things pertaining to Zion. And liars and hypocrites shall be proved by them, and they who are not apostles and prophets shall be known. And even the bishop, who is a judge, and his counselors, if they are not faithful in their stewardship, shall be condemned, and others shall be planted in their stead. Page 215. For behold, I say unto you that Zion shall flourish, and the glory of the Lord shall be upon her. That's B&C 64, verses 35 through 41. The fulfillment of this scriptural passage is still in the future. For, number one, the rebellious have not been cut out of the land and sent away or plucked out. Number two, the church has not been a judge to the nations. Number three, those who are not true prophets and apostles have not been exposed, condemned, and replaced. Number four, Zion has not flourished and the glory of the Lord has not been upon her. This must refer to the time when the Lord will send one mighty and strong to set in order the house of God and to arrange by lot the inheritance of the saints. That's B&C 85 verse 7, which certainly indicates that the house of God must first get out of order. Apparently, we need to build our fire and wait out the storm until it gets light again, and true prophets are once more evident among the saints. We're now on page 216, which is the beginning of chapter 15, which means we have just finished that chapter, and uh, the call-in line, the guest call-in line is 917, and if you have any we questions, comments, that's definite, that was definitely a lot of um, information in one chapter. When you're speaking of prophets, it's very important to know what um, kind of prophets you are dealing with or listening to or, um, you know, definitely when it comes to prophecy yourself also. So, um, yeah, if you want to call in and have any questions or comments or things to say, um, our call-in number is 917-889-8827. And we're going to be continuing on with just a little bit of a precursor for, uh, excuse me with the noise from the bag, for um, the next chapter, 15. And um, while I'm going ahead and reading that super quickly, because I am just self-mode like that sometimes, um, Mark, do you have anything that you wanted to say or add before I go into that? Oh, let's see here. Um, so the early leaders knew that there would come a time when, uh, you know, this, prophesied when mighty and strong would come among the people that set the house of God in order. They were well aware that they were under condemnation all the way from 1832 and they were well aware that um, 
they were well aware that there was, uh, you know, a rejection. Because in section 124, Jesus said, if you don't do these things, building the temple, you'll be rejected as a church if you're dead. They knew. They knew. Uh, they were looking forward to a time when people would be obedient, but they also knew that, um, you know, that Jesus told them. You know, he, he laid down. Okay, uh, one other thing real quick before I unmute myself again. So I have a Facebook group called LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussion and a whole bunch of other groups as well. But that's my main group. It's got like 4,000 people in it. There was a post by Kimberly Watson, and she was talking about how um, the fullness of the priestess was restored by Joseph Smith when he gave the endowment. Okay. I wasn't able to respond to it. I'm going to respond to it on this program in case you're familiar with that argument. Jesus Christ says, build a temple in my name, whereby the Most High, who is the Father, can come to all therein, that he might restore that which was lost unto you, or that was taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. When the church says that the fullness of the priesthood was the endowment, and that that was given by Joseph Smith in the red brick store, that actually contradicts what Jesus said. Build a temple in my name, whereby the Most High can come dwell therein, that he, not Jesus and not Joseph Smith, can restore the fullness of the priesthood. He wanted to endow them with power. The temple endowment that we have today is a preparatory endowment. He is not endowing you with power. It is to prepare you to receive the, end, the true endowment. Joseph Smith couldn't give the fullness of the priesthood. Only the Father could. And that's why Jesus said that the Father, or the Most High, can come, or the had to come and restore a, the fullness of the priesthood, which he had taken away, in a temple. The reason he needed a temple is because in the past he'd given the fullness of the priesthood on the mountaintop to the prophets individually. In order to redeem Zion, he had to have a temple where he could come dwell in himself to people who already had the Melchizedek priesthood because you cannot come into the presence of the Father, the physical presence. You can have visions and all that kind of stuff. You can't come into the physical presence of the Father without the Melchizedek priesthood having already been given to you. When Joseph Smith died, June 27th, okay, so the revelation was given in January of 1841. Three and a half years later was the end of the acceptable time, and Joseph Smith was taken on June 27th, 1844, away from a disobedient people who had just started building the second story of the temple. They were stealing the wood and hindering the, wo uh, the work. The wood for the temple was coming down from Wisconsin on the Mississippi River, and they were using that wood to build Masonic lodges, which are not of God, which they finished. 
they were using it to build their stores and their homes, okay, which would probably be acceptable if that's all they were doing. But Brigham Young was building the second wing of his freaking mansion. Even though he was in New England, but he was having that work done. They hadn't even, they just finished the first floor. They never finished the temple. They never finished it. It was never done, ever. The Shekinah glory of the, the glory of God that, that Zion's supposed to have, God gave him a preview of that with the Kirtland Temple, where the Shekinah glory of God came upon the temple during the dedication, where people saw angels, a whole bunch of, like, ancient prophets came, Jesus came, um, the glory of God rested upon the temple. That never happened again. It never happened again. It didn't happen in Nauvoo, and it hasn't happened since. Because when Jesus said, if you don't do what I say in section 124, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead, that is exactly what happened. Just like Moses was taken away from a wicked people, Joseph Smith was taken away from a wicked people as well, through no fault of his own. God allowed him to shot at so many freaking times and stabbed and all kinds of other things. God always protects me. God could have protected Joseph Smith, but God took him. Because you were not worthy, they were not worthy of him. Anyway, I know I'm going to break up, so go ahead, uh, uh, Kim. Okay. Hold on, i got to get back into it because I was out of it, or I was in it until you decided to talk for a long time. <laughs> okay, chapter 15. Where has Zion fled? For a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled? We are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land. That's Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 19. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 19. What conditions result when true prophets are no longer found on the earth? What happens to the Zion that God's prophets have encouraged the saints to establish for thousands of years? Zion is lost. Failure to create a Zion was constantly repeated in ancient Israel. Worldly influences have had a powerful effect upon those church and political leaders who should have led the people away from the influence of Babylon. So the Lord has caused the solemn feasts and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion and has despised in indignation of his anger, the king and priests. That's from Lamentations chapter 2, verse 6. There was no divine intervention to prevent them from leading the people astray. Kings, priests, and prophets fell into temptation and were overcome, and they lost their Zion. It is written in the Book of Mormon that the laborer in Zion shall labor for Zion, for if they labor for money, they shall perish. That's 2 Nephi chapter 26, verse 31. Nephi was not just talking to common folks, but leaders who were supposed to labor to build up Zion. The Lord has instructed, and your whole labor shall Zion be in Zion with all your soul from henceforth. That's D&C, chapter 30, verse 11. Um, and now we're on page 217, but also um, in the new chapter 15. Business concerns corporation affairs 
and worldly matters should be only a small part of the activities of leaders in Zion. They should not depend on the labors of others for their support. But as Alma said, he also commanded them that the priests whom he had ordained should labor with their own hands for their support. That's Moses chapter 18, verse 24, or Mosiah chapter 18, verse 24. Sorry. When they abbreviate everything, I never know which one it is. Um, So that's the end of that precursor for tomorrow's chapter, um, 15, Where Has Zion Fled? Um, I know that it's spoken a lot about Zion and Zion being redeemed, and everybody wants to um, talk about it. It seems like something that men always talk about all the time. They want to talk about redeeming Zion, but in these um, groups of people, they always are, you know, confined to what their uh, their God is in this box that they have con- they have constructed and put God in, so that they have a hard time coming to a meeting of the minds with other like-minded people because um, they're not open or willing to. Uh, and for the most part, they don't do what they talk about. They just talk about. Yeah, they don't want to be. Great philosophers who talk about the many things because they are built upon their pride instead of being obedient to what God has asked. Unless it's polygamy. Let's, they'll they'll yeah, jump they into polygamy. polygamy. Oh, yeah. my goodness. All the men love polygamy. Um, so <laughs> the other thing Some women like um, it too. is they talk about Zion, and then now they've created this lie that Zion is everywhere that you are. It's like pizza. It's everywhere you want to be. So they created this lie that Zion is everywhere, um, and therefore if they contradict the Bible, yeah, Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. And the whole idea that Zion is wherever you're at is a lie, and it actually contradicts the Doctrine and Covenants. And if you want to read a good book on that, go read The Gathering of Israel by Ogden Crowd at OgdenCrowd.com. Just go read that book, and you'll see the contra- the clear contradiction. They contradict the Doctrine and Covenants. And Joseph Smith said, if they contradict the Doctrine and Covenants, you have to set them down as imposters. No matter how much you love them or what you like about them, you've got to set them down as imposters. They are Judas goats leading you astray. All right, I'm going through Wellington Cut. I'm going to cut up a little bit or break up a little bit. Um, so I'm going to mute myself for just a minute. Okay. I don't know if I have a whole minute of stuff to talk to, but I was uh, just like what you were saying about Zion. Um, and the, the men, they all want to um, talk about it. They want to philosophize. <laughs> philosophize? I don't know how you say that. But they all just want to talk about it and talk about how and maybe, you know, different things about it and, different parts of it, but no one wants to actually um, be a part of Zion. They don't want to do anything to be a part of a Zion-like community. Um, And so even in Scripture, when you're talking about it, um, you know, know, for 40 years, he was uh, being led around in the desert. You just broke up. Uh, Oh, sorry. Can you hear me now? 
Emmett, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay. So um, what I was saying is just that Moses was led around in the desert for 40 years. They were trying to get to the promised land because there was a land that was promised by God um, to, you know, be built, to have Zion built upon it. It was the land of promise that was supposed to have, you know, lands uh, or flowing milk and honey, and um, it was supposed to have everything good in it, right? Uh, so that type of land. And they um, were promised this better place than where they had been in captivity. Um, now, the New Age scholars and the, um, the scholars of today uh, try to make everything out to be more of like uh, it was just um, like they're trying to find the moral of the story so that you could say, well, Zion is in your heart, and Zion is where they what they were achieving for, and the land of promise is just a promise that God made that where they end up, it will be a better place. And so they try to skew the story. Um, and Dance around the truth. Yeah, and then they put it in their own words. It. They don't yeah, want to. They do not want to admit that it wasn't. They do not want to admit that they're cursed and uh, uh, was condemned in 1832. Yeah. Which, actually, one of the modern guys, I think it was Benson, who was the president of the church, he said we're still under condemnation, and we are. But they don't want to admit that what Jesus said was that he would reject the church with their dead if they didn't do what he commanded. Speaking specifically about the temple. But then that can be a principle applied to all of it. If you don't do what God has commanded, he doesn't accept you. He will choose another people, which the early leaders of the church actively taught that God would choose another people because they knew that they, that the saints in their day were not doing what God had commanded them to do. And my job is to, even if, okay, a lot of people want to discount. They think I'm crazy. In fact, Today, somebody was like, you need to go to a therapist. You know, like, this guy probably has seen me posting a bunch of stuff. I just want to say something on this. I just want to say, um, you even have people who are like, uh, you're my favorite kind of crazy. So they really like him, and they're like, you make sense. Sorry. And I, they say they can't I'm discredit you're breaking him. Up. Okay, is that oh. what it is? So, um... Yeah. It's funny because they say, you know, well, I can't discredit you, and the things that you say make sense, and I can't really say that you're not accurate. They don't argue with you about it, but they say, well, okay, so if there is a crazy, you're my favorite kind of even, crazy. Even Benjamin Schaefer, who is one of my dear yeah. friends, I love him to death, he's a 70 in the Righteous Friends of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Peterson Group. And they think that they're going to be set in order because Joseph Smith actually set them in order somehow or whatever. So he's all like, I've never seen somebody use that kind of priesthood. And when I was ordaining his brother to be patriarch of the church in the church of the living Messiah, which God told me to do, it's the work of the Father, he said, I knew what you were going to say before you said it because the spirit was so strong. But then he's like, he just wanders off and does this thing with his group you know, but anyway, getting back, even if I am crazy, all of this stuff that we're talking about is still legitimate. It's still legitimate. 
you should turn back to the first works. Even if I'm not, I never saw God and I'm deceived and I'm a false prophet and all the things, you still need to turn back to the first works and stop following the Judas goats that are leading you astray in false doctrine. You have to set them down as imposters. If they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the doctrine and covenants that Joseph Smith had while he was still alive, you have to set them down as imposters. All right, I'm going in Sunnyside Dip just for a minute. Got to mute myself again. <laughs> Man, I wish we'd make up our minds. You're muted. You're not muted. You have things to say. I'm talking. You're talking over me. Kind of ridiculous. Such is the life of a man preaching on the go. <laughs> um, I really wish I wasn't yeah. feeling bad. Well, you can always take some Pepti- Pepto-Bismol. Is that what it's called? I think it's pink. But I don't think that we have the pink kind. I think we have Imodium, which is a different color. But you know how to read really good, so you can always check in the medicine cabinet in our bathroom upstairs, depending on the symptoms, of course. I'm just anyway. up and having really bad stomach acid. I am on the other side okay. of the... Uh, one other thing i got to say. I don't like to bring this up because I hate, I hate it when people want to make a living off of their ministry. I consider that priestcraft. But one of the revelations that God did give me is that I am supposed to be supported by Zion to do the work that God has called me to do. And to this I'm point, on <laughs> we, have, we have one guy, one guy who's on disability and he does a part-time job who sends me tithing. And I, I always, I'm like, don't send me tithing. But he knows my address and he's got all whatever. So he sends it anyway and he drives me nuts. He's sent me $50 for two months worth of tithing. And I'm like, thanks. And I just put that back into the work of the ministry. But Yeah, because believe it or not, it costs a lot to do the radio shows. <laughs> yeah, not just time, but money. Yeah, so I was thinking maybe we're not supposed to labor for uh, labor for money, but that's like the the Babylonian businessmen who hijacked the church. They take hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in stipends, and they live in luxury. Okay, that's wrong. But the laborers in Zion should be supported by Zion to meet their basic needs. And I should, people should be helping out with this ministry. Now, what I would do with the money if I had okay. it, I would, use, I would just put it into advertising to spread the message. But in, in, there will come a point when I will be supported as a priest, a high priest of Ephraim, by, oh, by Zion. You know, but I don't like to talk about that because that's not why I'm doing this. I've done this now. I started uh, co-hosting a radio show back in 2012, and I started my own show, uh, The Kingdom of God or Nothing, in 2000, January of 2014, shortly after the death of Ariel Sharon, which Rabbi Yitzhak Kadori said that Messiah ben Joseph would come on the scene Shortly after the death of Mar- Ariel Sharon, I am that man. I am going to have to be gone for a little bit. I have arrived at the next destination, and I love you lots, and I hope you have a good show, and I'll talk to you after, okay? 
Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for being on the show, Kim. Um, all Absolutely. right. So we've been doing this now, spent literally tens of thousands of dollars on the show trying to do this, not asking for money. The one guy who sends, sends me his, his tithing, I didn't ask him to send it. But he got my address and he sends it. <laughs> so, and he got my information and he sends it. And I'm grateful for that. I don't use that for anything special for myself. I use that for the work of the ministry. So um, I want to be able to spread this message. And I do what I can do. And I still work. Joseph Smith, he had a, he had a store that he worked from. He didn't ask for the people you know, he didn't ask for the people to, like, support him. And there's a principle in that. He had a stewardship, and he did what he could do, and then he did the work of the ministry as well. And that's what I did. So anyway, um, but it would be nice. There will come a day when I will be supported in this work, and I won't have to do this job that I do. But for the meantime, we just have to work around things. And I wish I could do – I wish I could just be home and do the, the show – but, like, for instance, I got home this morning at 5 in the morning. I got to bed. I woke up a couple of hours later to go to the bathroom, and then I was up for a little bit, tired. I had something to eat because I hadn't eaten a lot the night before, uh, this morning, whatever. And then I went back to sleep so that I could do this job now. This is the way it is now because it's just the circumstances that we're in. So um, so I'm doing the best I can, and I'm really grateful for the people who listen, and uh, I might set up a Patreon uh, in the future to ask for help. I've been contemplating that, and I feel like that's what I should do, but I don't like it. I don't even like that revelation that tells me that I should be supported, because I don't like priest crafters. I don't like getting rich off the backs of tithers. So um, I think it's wrong. But there is a work that should be supported. The Levites were supported by the tithes of the people. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. But it, when it's taken to excess, like the leaders of the church do today, that is wrong. They shouldn't be doing that. And to take the tithes and to invest them in Babylonian businesses and stocks and bonds uh, and all the things that they do and... Uh, building, building up Babylon the Great with uh, all of their $7 billion malls and all of their office buildings and all the things that they do, that's wrong. They should be doing the work of God, but they do the work of Babylon the Great. And, uh, you know, Joseph Smith said that uh, we shouldn't lay up $1 to build up Babylon, but that's what they do. They take your tithing, it goes into a for two years, your tithing goes into Chase Manhattan Bank, where Chase actually invests that money. And there's reasons for that, because of Heber J. Grant, his ties with Babylon, uh, with uh, the Rockefellers and the Illuminati and all that mess. And uh, they tried to get out of it, but Babylon the Great's got a good big old hold on the church. they got the claws and everything. But then after they get the money back, they use that money to tie, they use that money to, to invest 
and things. No united orders, not one. 16 million members of the church, not one united order. They don't even teach about it. They don't teach about the redemption of Zion, except for, like, little snippets, you know. But anyway, um, I guess I'm just going to be done with the program for today. When we come back tomorrow, we'll read Zion has fled, or where Zion fled to. It's chapter 15. We have, I think, three chapters left of this book, and then we'll be in Holy Priesthood, Volume 6. And then I think after that, we're going to read something called Lineage of the Priesthood, by Ogden Kraut, but that's two books away. We're going to finish this volume five, and then we'll get into volume six, and then we'll be done with volume six in maybe a month, month and a half-ish. So, all right. Uh, Emmett, thank you for reading. I really appreciate it, as you know. And I am really grateful. That's fine. I actually have a funny story to tell about Emmett. So I told Emmett the other day not to go into the shower because I still had to shower and just wait till I was done. And then Emmett walks up the stairs and he goes in the shower just like I told him not to do. And I go upstairs and the door is locked into the bathroom. I was like, Emmett! <laughs> he, got, <laughs> he got a bloody nose when I said Emmett. And then the shower head fell off and hit him in the head. <laughs> like... Oh, my gosh. Emmett, you're acting in prone. But Emmett gets bloody noses all the time because Emmett is Emmett. And we always laugh because uh, it's just kind of funny. Sorry, if you know him, you just know. Whatever. Anyway, uh, did you have anything else to say before I uh, end the program for tonight? Um, no, I'm in the process of uh, throwing up. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, well, uh, go ahead and get some of that medicine Mom was talking about and take care of yourself. And uh, I will end the program for tonight. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Even if you don't believe I am who I say I am, at least I'm trying to teach you the truth of the restoration and bring you back to the first works, which Jesus Christ told us in the book of Revelation to turn back to the first works. And we should. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ, or in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.